0: Alright, Galatians chapter 4, please. I'm going to be looking today at uh, verses 20. And moving forward. In fact, it'll probably be 20 down to verse 31. We'll read all of that and see how far we get this morning. We'll also be going back and looking at some stuff in Genesis that has to do with what Paul was talking about. Kind of give a groundwork on why he's using this allegory. Genesis, or excuse me, Galatians chapter 4, starting in verse 20. The Word of God says, I desire to be present with you now. I'm sorry, verse 19. My little children. Of whom I travail in birth again till Christ be formed in you, I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice for I stand in doubt of you. Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do ye not hear the law? Now we kind of ended with some of this last week uh, and everything. Those who want to be under the law obviously have not listened to what the law says and and that's what Paul is getting at here before he goes into even this allegory that he's about to go into he's reminding them you guys who want to listen to these Judaizers that are telling you that you need to be under the law that you need to keep the law for righteousness or for acceptance or for uh, continuance in the faith you need to listen to what the law says you're not listening to the law because uh, obviously if you hear what the law says you're not going to want to be under the law the law says that you have to keep everything in the law, not just part of it, but every, uh, the whole thing. You gotta keep the whole thing and you have to keep it perfectly and never, never break it. Because the, the transgression of the law is sin and the wages of sin is death. If you transgress the law, then you have sinned and if you have sinned, the wages of sin is death. There is no, uh, middle ground there. And so if you disregard or if you don't have any care towards what Christ has done on your behalf and you seek righteousness in this way, then you're going to have to live by those terms. Those terms are do this or die. Do all of it, not just part of it. You know, some people like to break the law up into the, uh, the decal or the, 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 the ten commandments. The moral law, the civil law, the ceremonial law, uh, the civil law. They, they like to break the law up into all these things, but we don't see anywhere in scripture where, where scripture breaks the law up into any, any portion and says, well, this part's gone, but this part's still here. It uses it, it, when it speaks of the law, it speaks of it as a whole. Whenever we see in the New Testament and it talks about the old covenant has now uh, been done away with and the new covenant, uh, is, uh, is, is what we are looking towards or looking at. Uh, then that's what it means. It means all of it. Not just part of it, but all of it. Okay? Uh, the law was weak in, because in the flesh and it couldn't keep anything. So the new covenant is something that doesn't have anything to do with the flesh. See, that's the difference between the two covenants. Now there's a lot of differences between the covenants, but one area of difference is this is the covenant, the old covenant, was a covenant of the flesh. Do this or die. And then they, God had given them sacrifices to, for atonement of those sins, as not for a removal of sins, and not for uh, a, a lasting thing for them. It was only a, a type and a shadow for what Christ would do. So those animal sacrifices actually didn't do anything with their sins other than cover their sins as God was going to take care of those sins in Christ Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. But that whole system of law was do this or die. And those people had to follow that law and if they didn't follow that law then they sinned and if they sinned then they had to make and follow the exact way God told them to make sacrifices, to bring offerings and sacrifices. Okay? So it was a fleshly thing, but the New Covenant is a total spiritual thing. The Old Covenant was something that they had to try to accomplish, but never could. The New Covenant is all about something that you don't even have any participation in, as far, except for the receiving of it, except for the, except for the uh, 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 being in it. i I, I got to turn my words correctly, lest I be misunderstood or misquoted. Um, it the new covenant is something that we don't have to do any type of works to get. It all comes because of what Christ Jesus did in His death, burial, and resurrection. His life, death, burial, and resurrection. That's the new covenant. That's the terms of the new covenant. The new covenant is ratified in blood. Okay, it's 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 guarantee or its stamp is in blood. It's not in what you do, okay? That you you keeping something. Matter of fact, if you look at the everlasting covenant, you'll see that that covenant wasn't even between God and man. The co- the new covenant was be- between God and and then the Son of God. You know, God elected a, a people and gave them to Christ, and Christ is the one who is doing all of the work of atonement on their behalf. And then the Holy Spirit is the one who quickens. The Holy Spirit is the one who grants repentance and faith. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts of sin. The Holy Spirit is the one who grows in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is the one who binds our heart and keeps us from going away. Who is the one who preserves us until the end. The Holy Spirit is the one who does that. So we see that that God in totality here. Is part of our salvation. And that that salvation was a covenant amongst, amongst God. It was a covenant in, in, in the Godhead. It wasn't a covenant that had to do with anything that we do. We do not have to keep anything in this covenant. But we are recipients of everything in that covenant. And it's because of Christ our substitute. So, Paul says, you who want to be under the law do you not hear what the law is saying if you guys have been given spiritual eyes to see that there is no works of the flesh that can profit anything and that the gospel that was given to you was that Christ did everything for you, why do you want to go back to this place that says death? Death is all you are going to hear. Okay, So, he is reiterating once again this fact that this is not a good thing. And we've seen it all the way through so far. I mean, we started out up here. Again, why do you desire to be in bondage again? Why do you desire to be underneath the law? Do you not hear what the law says? So, Moving on, verse 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by the (coughs) bondmaid, the other by a free woman. And when we see for that, for it is written, we know that he's talking about, or he's going back to quote, and remember at this time when Paul is writing this letter, That there is no New Testament yet. Right? Mm -hmm. It's being written. Matter of fact, this letter, when Paul wrote it, was the New Testament being formed, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) But they didn't have... What did they preach out of? They preached out of the Old Testament. That's what they were preaching at. They were preaching the gospel to these people from the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. And they were taking the New Testament knowledge that they had been given by Christ... But they were applying that Old Testament scripture with a spiritual understanding of it. And see, that's how we ought to take that too, brother. We don't throw away the Old Testament. Now, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Now, I've said this before, and it's to my shame, but I'll be honest with you. I study more in the New Testament than I do in the Old Testament. Now, there's a lot of times I don't go into the Old Testament and do a lot of studying, right? Uh, and I know I probably should spend a lot more time in the Old Testament. But we don't disregard the Old Testament. Whenever we say that the Old Covenant has gone away and the New Covenant is here or the Old Testament and the New Testament, we're now under the New Testament, we're not talking about what's written in the Bible. This Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, is the Word of God preserved for us today. And we can trust that this is what God's Word, that this is God's Word. It doesn't just contain God's Word. It is God's Word, right? And so the Old Testament is just as much God's Word as the New Testament is and it's profitable. The Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable, even the Old Testament. Sometimes I wonder, how are all those back in numbers whenever you start reading all those lineages and everything? Sometimes you kind of wonder, why is there two chapters of just names? Okay, It's there for a purpose. Okay? It's for our teaching. It's for our understanding. It is profitable for us. So we should study in the Old Testament, uh, and it's just as relevant to us today. However, when we look at the Old Testament, we got to interpret the Old Testament with New Testament revelation. What's been revealed in the New Testament as the veil has been pulled away, as we have begun to see... Now, what the Old Testament types and foreshadows were pointing to, we can now understand the Old Testament. And that's what the apostles were doing. They were preaching Christ from the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. You see, Jesus did it just right after he resurrected from the grave. He was on the road to Emmaus. And there was two disciples that were walking along. They were discussing everything that happened. The Bible says that Jesus came up alongside of them. And he took them and from Genesis to... to uh, uh, the end he revealed everything that was about him to them and he did that with all the the, the, the disciples and the apostles and, and all those people and so we see here it is written that Abraham had two sons so we need to find out what what is he talking about for it is written he's he's appealing back to something that happened in the Old Testament something about Abraham and his two sons. It says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. So let's just take a moment there. Leave your hand there in in Genesis 4 if you want to. But let's go back to Genesis because I want to point out a couple of things in the original story of this. And let's go to, uh, I believe it's Genesis uh, chapter uh, 17. where we want to begin. What is that for? I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 16. <clears throat> I'm gonna to try to read through this quickly because there's a few points that I'd like to make in this as we move forward. It says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him, chapter 16, verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children, and she had a handmaiden, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go into my maid, it may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai, and and Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. Now, what what's that saying there? Well, he sent Hagar in to take the place of Sarah. Okay? So, Sarah said, listen... The promise that God made about us having a child, it's not coming along. I'm not able to perform that. Uh, obviously, I'm too old to do that. Maybe God wants you to have a child, and you can do that through through my handmaiden, through my bondmaiden, okay? So, uh, the bondmaiden, Hagar, went in, laid with Abram, had a child uh, by Abram, and it says here whenever, and this kind of gets a little tricky because of, Uh, It sounds like that Sarah was mad at the other woman, but that's not the case. So then he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. See, Hagar became the wife, and now Sarai was the mistress. Okay? And so whenever Hagar... Was conceived with child, she began to despise Sarah and basically was, you know, uh, uh, making fun of her and despising her because she was barren. She couldn't, she wasn't able to have any children and everything. It's kind of an amazing thing. You don't see it in our age anymore today, but back then, women were very, very. Um, what should I say? I don't want to necessarily say proud, but they were very uh, elated. They were very concerned. They were very uh, happy to bear children. That was their gift to the family. That was to bear their husband, a child, and especially a son, to carry on their name was something that was prized by women. Now, we know, of course, the Bible teaches all through it that children are a blessing of God, right? The Bible even says having many children is a blessing of God. The the man whose quiver is full is a blessing from God. Those are things that are blessed of God, okay? So we don't despise those things. We don't look down on those things. And during this time and even in days of old, even in our country, you know, women was excited to be mothers who, who des- desired to have children and to bear children uh, for their family. And they didn't have a problem with that. Nowadays, women completely despise the role of motherhood. They despise the role of being a wife. They despise those things. And they it's completely taken God's uh, uh, roles for the family and they wanted to turn it upside down now. And now the the roles have been switched to the place where now they're even, you know, they're even trying to get men to have babies and now they've got emojis on our stupid phone of men that are pregnant and all this kind of stuff. They've taken the natural order that God has created and have turned it upside down. And so here we see that this woman Hagar despised Sarah because Sarah was barren, and for a woman to be barren, that was an embarrassment for her. That was something that really was an emotional problem for them, because that was what they des- that's what they desired. That's what they they knew. That's what their part in the marriage was. Their part is to take care of the home and to raise children and to and to be part of the be fruitful and multiply. Matter of fact, as I was reading some stuff on this this morning, I began to think of a few things going back into uh, Adam and Eve. If you remember whenever Adam, or whenever God gave Eve to Adam, it was after God had made all the animals and everything and they began to be fruitful and began to multiply. And then it said, "But Adam had nobody to help him. Nobody to help him multiply. And I'm going to study that out a little bit more to see if there's any kind of connection with any of this stuff. But God gave Eve to Adam for the purpose of replenishing the earth, be fruitful and multiply. And see they want to turn this whole order over. And so the women back then knew this is my part in my in this family that God has ordained, my part in this is to do that very thing. And so <clears throat> Sarah uh because she was barren uh was, you know, obviously uh upset about these things. But whenever Hagar conceived, it says, "When she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes." And Sarah said unto Abram, "My wrong be upon thee. I have given my mind into thy uh, my maid uh, into thy bosom." And when he saw that uh, she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between me and thee. So uh, Sarah, whenever she began to see this, she now became. Became upset and she went to Abram and said, you know, hey, I did this. I made a mistake doing it and now you need to judge. Do you want her or me? So now it's laid on Abram's lap on something that Sarah did, right? Now, Abram was complicit in all this. He went through with it all, but Sarah's getting a little upset now. Look at verse 6. But Abram said unto Sarai, Behold, thy maid is is in thy hand do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarai dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way to Shur. And she said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, whence camest thou? And whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress, and submit thyself unto her hands. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, and it shall not be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and shalt bear a son, and shalt call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. And he will be a wild man, his hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him and he shall dwell in the presence of all of his brethren now the lineage of ishmael that's what we know today is the modern arab nations um, all those arab nations that's over in the middle east uh, those are of the lineage of ishmael that's where the, that uh, line of people came from is from ishmael and actually even as of today uh, it's still as god has done it i mean you look and, and see, they don't get along with anybody over there. They're all the time in upheaval. They're all the time at war with other people, their neighbors, uh, everybody that's around them. Uh, and they and they live in a wild way. I mean, even though they have modern advancements over in their areas, I mean, they still live in such a way that's not as advanced as other places and, and things. And you can see that God's um, destiny for that group of people, and this is just this isn't a racial thing. I don't mean this to be a racial thing. This is just truth of the scriptures that God has made people the way that he desires for them to be made. He's the potter and we're the clay. And he has, uh, has exclaimed or he has proclaimed that this is going to be the lot of these people and it has been uh, even to this day. matter of fact, I was reading through uh, a couple of things this week. Uh, uh, I was reading John Gill. And, uh, John Gill was speaking on this and he even mentioned the same thing that in his day, back in the 1800s, that he said that the Arabs was all, was at war with everybody around them and was all the time, you know, trying to attack or to steal if somebody came into their areas that they were plundering them. I mean, it was just an upheaval. So we see that that really hasn't changed even from back in these days. Um, he says, and she shall, and she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou God seest me. For she said, Have I also here looked after him that seeth me? Wherefore the well was called ber Lahai Roy. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Barad. And Hagar bare Abram's, a, bare Abram a son, and Abram called his son's name, which Hagar bare, Ishmael. And Abraham was fourscore and six years old. You know how old that is? Fourscore and six years. That would be 86 years old. 86 years old. When Hagar bare Ishmael to Abram. Now when Abram was 90 years old, and nine, 90 years old and 9, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make the covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly and Abraham fell on his face, and God talked with him. Now, remember, <clears throat> this is after God had already talked to him about the co- in, in chapter 15 about the covenant speaking of Christ and the covenant speaking of the eternal things as far as righteousness is concerned. Now he's talking to him about uh, this. And I will make a covenant between me and thee, and will multiply thy seed exceedingly. And Abraham fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying... As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham, for a father of many nations have I made thee. And I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee, in their generations for an everlasting covenant, To be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said unto Abram, Thou shalt keep my covenant, therefore, thou and thy seed, and thee and their generations. This is my covenant which ye shall keep between me and you. And thy seed after thee, every man child among you shall be circumcised. You shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you, every man child in your generation. He that is born in the house, or bought with money, of any stranger which is not of thy seed. He that is born in thy house, and he that is bought with thy money, must needs be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised man child whose flesh uh, of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. And God said unto Abraham, As for Sarai thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall her name be. And I will bless her and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. Then Abraham fell upon his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? And Abraham said unto God, O oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. I want you to pay close attention to that verse, and we'll come back to that here in just a minute. And God said, Sarah, thy wife shall bear thee a son, indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant, and with his seed after him. <clears throat> now, this is the seed that speaking of Christ right here. Okay? This is the seed of promise, the child of promise, and this is talking about the spiritual seed. There is a fleshly seed, there is a spiritual seed. Okay? It's not the fleshly seed that is the children of Abraham but it's the spiritual seed. We learned that uh, uh, also uh, by the writings of Paul, uh, that it isn't the, the fleshly seed that was accounted for the promise of the everlasting eternal covenant, Okay, as far as salvation is concerned. <clears throat> it's only the spiritual seed. And with him for an everlasting covenant, and with his, his seed after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard thee, Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he beget, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant will I establish with Isaac. Okay, so if you'll notice here, the covenant, the spiritual covenant, the everlasting covenant, the covenant of righteousness, is not made with Ishmael, the child of the flesh. It's made with Isaac, the child of promise okay? Ishmael came from a handmaiden who wasn't barren. Isaac came from a woman and a man who was barren. They were past their age of, of having children. It was a miraculous, listen, it was it was an, a miraculous uh, a pregnancy as much as Jesus, well, I don't want to say as much as Jesus, Jesus was, was different because he was God. But here you have a a woman who was barren, who could not have kids, who had a child. That was a miraculous thing. God did that. God opened up that woman and gave it life again to be able to conceive a child. <clears throat> so Isaac was the child of promise. Ishmael was the child of the flesh. Isaac was the child that was to come as they looked in faith to that. Ishmael was the product of their own handwork workings. Ishmael was a symbol of works. Isaac was a symbol of faith. Isaac is a symbol of uh, trusting in the promise of God where Ishmael is trying to accomplish God's work by your own hands. You see that? Now look at verse 18. I told you to pay close attention to that. And Abraham said unto God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. Brethren, I posted this on Facebook this morning. You can go back and read it, it's in the church site and on my, my thing. But I posted a little thing about this this morning as I was contemplating this verse. <clears throat> that in our flesh, as children of Adam, that is always our cry, Oh, that Ishmael might live. I want to do the works of God. That's what they ask Jesus. What must we do to do the works of God? The flesh always wants to be religious and is zealous to do something to earn its own righteousness. The flesh is always wanting to produce a righteousness of its own before God, whether to get saved or to stay saved or to stay in fellowship with God. The flesh wants to be able to do works for righteousness. And the desire of the flesh is that it might be something before God. But God has already destined the flesh to die. He has destined the flesh to not gain anything. The flesh is just flesh and it cannot profit or gain anything. The Bible says that the flesh cannot please God. The Bible says that flesh and blood cannot inherit The kingdom of God. So nothing that we do in the flesh can please God, can gain salvation, can keep salvation, can be anything pleasing before a holy and righteous God because the flesh is a byproduct or the the works are byproducts of the flesh. The flesh wants to do its own works to gain salvation and God has already determined that Ishmael is not going to be anything but a wild man. You see that in in whenever he talked about Ishmael? Back in verse 12, in chapter 16? And he will be a wild man. Ishmael is a wild man. And that's all he can be. The flesh is just that it's flesh. It was made out of dust. And to dust it's going to return. It's not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. God has another body that is suited for the perfection which is the life and the everlasting life, the everlasting life, the spirit of Christ that's in us, that life, has a body fit for that waiting for us, that we will receive at the resurrection. But brethren, don't, don't believe anything that the flesh can do anything. But here, just like Abraham, oh, that is that Ishmael might live before thee. There is that desire that for our flesh to produce something for God. And that's where we come into the spiritual warfare. That's where we see the flesh lust against the spirit, the spirit lust against the flesh. And if we go on down for we see eventually that Ishmael, longed against Isaac, and Isaac against Ishmael. Ishmael didn't like it that Isaac was the one who was the preferred child. Hagar didn't like it that that Sarah was preferred over her. So let's let's move forward, verse 20. For as, as for Ishmael, I have heard thee, behold, I have blessed him. But look at verse 21. But my covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at the set time in the next year. And he left off talking with him, and God went up from Abram. And Abram took Ishmael his son and all that were born in his house and all that were bought with his money, every male uh, uh, every male among the men of Abram's house and circumcised the flesh of their foreskins in the selfsame day as God had said unto him. Now let's... Um, uh, Cross over to chapter uh, chapter twenty one. It says, <clears throat> verse one: And the Lord visited Sarah, and He said, uh, as He had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as He had spoken. So you see, here she conceived because of the Lord. Okay. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age, at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, whom Sarah bare to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old, as God had commanded him. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh, so that all that hear will laugh with me. And she said, Who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah would have given children suck? For I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast uh, the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. Okay, so here we see that... um, Isaac was mocking the fact that Abraham was making a to-do out of uh, out of uh, Isaac and not him. Wherefore she said unto Abraham, "Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac." And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. And God said unto Abraham. Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad, and because of thy bondwoman, and in all that Sarah hath said unto thee. Hearken unto her voice, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And also of the son of the bondwoman will I make a nation, because he is thy seed. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and took bread and a bottle of water, and gave it to Hagar, put it in on her shoulder, and the child, and sent her away, and she departed, and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. So here, here God called for the, for the son of the bondwoman woman to be cast out. Okay? So that's the story that Paul is using here. Now let's go back, and I know there's been a lot of reading, but let's go back to Galatians chapter 4. Even though these were real events... Real people, real happenings, okay? It was all for an allegory. Now, right there, just a side note, that tells you God so controls the lives of people that he even uses their everyday lives and how he orchestrates by his providence, by his sovereign control over everything so that even their very lives, hundreds of years later, thousands of years later, become an allegory of something that he has to teach spiritually to us. I mean, we even see that in the lives of the uh, Israelites when they came out of Egypt. The whole story of them coming out of Egypt and crossing the Red Sea and going into the the promised land is all a picture and a type and foreshadow of our salvation. Mm -hmm. But they really happen. Mm -hmm. Listen, if people don't think that God is controlling everything and has determined everything... It's crazy. There is no way by chance these things happen. And if everybody has free choice, then how in the world did everybody's free choices happen to so line up to accomplish God's purposes? It can. It's because God controls all things. The end from the beginning. He has already predestinated everything to its accomplished end. So back in Galatians chapter 4, let's continue on in where we left off. It says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid and the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh. But he of the free woman was by promise. That's what I was mentioning a while ago. Okay? Uh, Ishmael was born by the hands of of Abraham and Sarah and the bondwoman uh, trying to provide, you know, this work of God on their own. Isaac was a child of promise. It didn't come by Abraham and Isaac, or uh, Abraham and Sarah, naturally being able to accomplish the conceiving and the birthing. They couldn't do it. But yet the promise was made that that child, that seed would come, and that seed would be given to them, and that they would bear forth fruit. But they were called on to trust Christ, to trust that this is the truth, that this is the promise, that this is going to happen. Right? And just like Abraham, we too want to try to do things in our flesh. We want to try to do things in our flesh instead of trusting Christ for all that he's done and the promise that he has made. His promise is that I have given you full righteousness. I have accomplished everything for you. All your obedience to the law, I've accomplished it for you. All the wages of your sin has been dealt with in my death. And you have been glorified before God. You've been justified. You've been sanctified. You're going to be glorified whenever this body is put down. We have the promises of Christ. And I will give you faith that you might even trust in these things. Because without giving you that faith, you'll never trust in them. And so he's given us those things. And just like Abraham, we toy back and forth. We we want to trust God, but yet we want to have Ishmael produce something for God. Okay? Now look what he says here. But he who was of the bondwoman was after the flesh. And we know that the flesh profits nothing. Which things are an allegory? For these are the two covenants, the one from the Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Agar or Hagar. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. So he's saying, "Look, that happening back in Genesis, that was an allegory. Even though it was real, that was a picture for us today—a spiritual picture. That that bondwoman is the picture of Mount Sinai and the works of the law and all that has to do with that. And it is a picture, or or gendereth to bondage. That's why Paul said back in." In Galatians uh, 4 9. Why do you desire to be in bondage again? If you go back under the law. You're going back under Mount Sinai. You're going back under Hagar. You're wanting to go from being Isaac. To Ishmael. And Ishmael. Was not the child of promise. Ishmael was not the child. Of the covenant. Ishmael was was cast out. It says. But Jerusalem. Which is above. That's the new Jerusalem which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice thou barren that bearest not. Break forth and cry thou that travailest not. For the desolate hath more children than she which hath an husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. See, we have been born, we have been, we have been brought forth as a generation of spiritual people, not fleshly people. We have been brought forth as a spiritual seed, not the fleshly seed, or the natural seed. We've been brought forth to, to, to not look to Sinai, but to look to the New Jerusalem, to look to Sarah, not, not to, not to Hagar. Now, I know that might be confusing if you're you're not familiar with the allegory or if you're not seeing the tie between the story and the spiritual aspect of it. But what this is saying is we have been born to live by faith, to walk by faith in what Christ has done, not by works of the law. That's what the purpose of this allegory, that's why Paul brought in the story of Hagar. Matter of fact, that's why God controlled all that proceedings with Hagar and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Ishmael, all that happened so that it would be a perfect picture of the child of grace today. We are to live in faith of the promise, not in the works of our hands. Now as we brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then... He that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the Spirit. Even so it is now. And listen, I can tell you right now, those who are under the law and desire to be under the law and want to put you under the law, they hate it when we preach like this. Mm-hmm. They hate when you preach that we're not under the law. Remember, I told you the story of the pastor in Kansas City that was telling everybody not to come to our church because I was an antinomian. Meaning, without law. That's what antinomian means. Someone who is without law. That that we believe that we are not under the law, but under grace. And that we don't need to obey the laws in the Old Testament anymore. Or anything like that. Listen, people get irate about that. They get irate whenever you preach these things. It hasn't changed today. Just like back then. Ishmael hated Isaac. Isaac didn't do anything. Sarah didn't do do anything. Abraham didn't do anything. But the promise fell there. Just like today, we still have people that do not like the fact that there are some that are chosen and some that are not chosen. I have friends on Facebook that do not believe in sovereign grace and they all the time, they come on on my posts and things and they want to argue about, you know, salvation, you mean God just chose some and not others. Oh, so God's a respecter of persons when the Bible says he's not a respecter of persons. By the way, that's not a contradiction. God choosing some and not others is not a contradiction of the Bible saying that God is not a respecter of persons. Whenever it says that God is not a respecter of persons, that's talking about that he doesn't respect rich or poor, free or bond, Black or white or brown or green or yellow or purple, whatever color you are, whatever nationality you are, it doesn't matter. Because the Bible says that he has the elect out of every nation, out of every tribe, out of every tongue. Okay? So he's not a respecter of persons in that regard. But he surely is a respecter of persons in the fact that he has elected for himself a people. That he has the elect uh, that he has chosen He is a respecter of persons in that regard because only those persons are the ones he has set his love upon. The Bible says that he has loved them with an everlasting love. So, it says, Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of the promise, but as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the Spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what saith the Scripture? See, even though there's this struggle Even though that the flesh continues to want its way, the flesh wants to be religious. It wants to be a good church guy. It wants to be a good um, social person helping all those that's out there that's needy. It wants to be philanthropic. It wants to give money. It wants to do all these things. It wants to be a preacher. Wants to be a teacher, wants to be a, a, a hymn singer, or whatever you want to be. The flesh wants to do all those religious things. Okay, I, re, again, I re, will remind you of the same. My grandpa used to always say, "The flesh will do anything to get its way, even if it means be religious, and it will. It'll be religious all day long. It wants to be religious because through religion it gets what the attention, right?" gets the attention seen a conversation this, this week some men in some sovereign grace circles and uh, they were uh, applauding themselves for the men that they had uh, that they had tutored in the gospel and that they had brought up and how they had caused their conversion and uh, how that they had uh, was doing really well in bringing them up in, in the knowledge of Christ and all of this. And I've seen people make statements on their, on, on their Facebook about how many people they've won to the Lord. And, uh, how much, how much their ministry has done and all the stuff that they have accomplished and all these things. And the flesh likes to be patted on the back. It's proud. It likes that. But what does it say here? Look, verse 30. Nevertheless, what saith the scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. Cast it out. Get it out of your mind. Don't think that you're going to gain a righteousness by law keeping. Don't think you're going to gain righteousness by doing things through works. You're never going to accomplish that. It's cast out. God has casted that out. It's not going to regard it. If you keep it here, it will not be part of the promise. If if Abraham would not have cast out Ishmael and Hagar and let them stay there and live amongst their family and their people all that time, the promise would not have been to them. Whenever it came time for them to start dealing out the families as they came out of Egypt and went into the promised land, and Joshua began to divide out the land among the tribes of Israel, guess what? All of Ishmael's clan would not have got a part of that. They would not have got a part of that. And they certainly was not going to get a part in the kingdom of God because of that. Okay? So, Ishmael, in the eyes of God, has been cast out. Okay? It served a purpose. What was the purpose? It showed Abraham that you cannot accomplish anything you cannot fulfill the promise of God by the works of your own hands. Abraham and Sarah did not accomplish the work of God by their own hands. The law is given to us to show us the inability that we have to accomplish the righteousness that God requires. The law has been given to us to show us that there is no way that your righteousness is going to exceed and be able to be profitable or be acceptable to God. That's why Jesus told the Pharisees, unless your righteousness exceeds theirs, they think they're keeping the law. They think they're perfect under the law. But they're not, because they're they're breaking the law every day. They break the law every day. He says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, uh, you're not ever going to gain the kingdom of God. You'll never see the kingdom of God. You need a righteousness outside of yourself that is perfect, and there's only one righteousness that's perfect, brethren, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's why Paul here is saying, cast out the bondwoman. Cast out the notion that your righteousness comes by works and law-keeping. It says in verse 31, So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman. But children of the free. But of the free. We are children of the free. Yes. Does this flesh still, is this flesh still with us? Yes. Does Ishmael still attack and hate Isaac? Yes. But Ishmael is not gonna, gonna be part of the promise. It's not gonna be part of the inheritance the inheritance that was given to Abraham to pass on to his generation, Ishmael is not going to have any part of that. God has something else designed for Ishmael. God has something designed for the law of God. But that's not going to get you righteousness and that's not going to get you the inheritance. Only the righteousness of Christ can do that. And So we see the importance of grace the importance of, um, of faith and not of works and of law keeping. All right, we'll stop right there and uh, we'll move into chapter 5, Lord really next week. Does anybody have any comments or questions? Anything that you like cleared up? Maybe I know sometimes I get a little confusing sometimes bouncing back and forth. You're not going to hear this kind of teaching. I'm not, I'm not saying that about myself. I'm saying that about God's word. You're not going to hear a lot of this type of preaching in modern churches today. Modern churches today is all about you making the choice and you living a life. They'll even go so far to say, well, it's Christ in you, but he's working through you and you're still doing those works by, you know, choosing to let him be God in you. You know, let, have you ever heard that statement? Let go and let God. You know, let. Oh, I gotta let God be God in me. <laughs> Think you can let God do anything? <laughs> he said that He rules among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay His hand. <laughs> That's what it says. Known unto God uh, are all His works, and He's going to accomplish all the he pleasures. But um, now we we hear all kinds of preaching about us, that that God will do these works in us if we will just uh, let Him, if we'll just submit ourselves to Him, if we'll give Him control of our lives or make Him Lord of our lives, you know. Those are not things that we can do, brethren. Uh, He is the Lord. He is God, and He will do what He wants to do, and He will bear forth fruit in us. Jesus said, uh, if you abide in Me and I in you, you will bear much fruit, uh, but one thing we know is that there, you don't work to abide, right? Kevin over here is abiding on my couch. He isn't having to do anything for that. He's just there, right? He's not doing anything. Those trees out there, you see uh, that, uh, that tree out there, that uh, um, what's the name of that kind of tree out dogwood? There? Not the dogwood, the other dogwood. one. Magnolia. Yeah, the magnolia tree. That magnolia tree is dropping all kinds of things all over the ground that it produce fruit from its tree, but those limbs that is abiding in that stem that comes up, it didn't do no work to produce that. If you got a tree, say you got an apple tree in the backyard, you got that tree that's growing up and then out of that tree you got branches that's coming out and then out of those branches you'll see these leaves and then you'll see this fruit hanging out there. That limb didn't do no work to do To do that. So that fruit came from the life of the vine inside of it. The life of the tree. The life of the plant. That's where it came from. All the, all the limb did was just hang there in the tree and the tree produced fruit in the limb. See, we don't produce works in the flesh. The life is inside of us and God produces those works in us. The works are not outward works. They're inward works. And then whenever they're inward works, yes, can you see evidences of things of that on the outside? Yeah. Do we see love for the brethren? Yeah. Do we see right doctrine? Yes. Do we see people believing and trusting Christ? Yes. We see those things. People who are joy, joyful and long-suffering and gentle and meet? Yeah. Do we see those things? We do see those things, but it isn't something we produce outwardly. It's something that is a work on the inside. And so abiding in the vine and producing much fruit isn't a command that God has told us to do. Abide in the vine, that way you can bear much fruit. No, abiding in the vine is just just resting in the vine. I just rest in Christ. And guess what? His Spirit will produce the works that God has ordained for me in me. But you know, it's hard for Ishmael to sit aside and trust that. It's hard for Abraham to look and say, You mean you're going to do it all yourself and we, we don't have to do it? What, what did Abraham and Sarah do? They laughed. Both of them laughed. They laughed at the whole notion, You think that we're going to be able to do that? See, it's a funny thing to a lot of people. But uh, the promises of God, the Bible says, are yea and amen. In Christ Jesus, it's funny for us to say that in the flesh. Matter of fact, every one of us, if someone came to you and said, "Oh yeah, I keep the whole law," can you imagine those disciples? Whenever that one guy, the rich young ruler, came to Jesus and said, "What must I do to inherit eternal life?" and Jesus, uh, you know, said, "You know, to keep these commands." And I guy said, "I've kept all these laws from ever since my youth. I've kept them." Can you imagine those disciples who had already been taught otherwise? They probably were snickering at that guy behind his back, saying, "Yeah, right, you have." You know, see, that's what happens: is we think that we can do those things, but all the while, you know, it's a, it's just a it's just an impossibility. All right, anybody got any questions? All right, well, it's good to be with everybody today, and. Uh, Lord willing we'll see you again next Sunday. Let's bow and have a word of prayer. Gracious Father once again we are thankful for the gospel that speaks only of Christ Jesus. Father I know that in our flesh those are things that are hard to uh, understand and hard to look at and we need the Spirit to give us clarity and understanding of those things and to teach us, teach us those things, reveal them unto us. And so Father I pray that those things that were spoken up today that that uh, they have found place in the hearts and the minds of these brethren that are here today, and that they might rejoice in that. Lord, we rejoice in your gospel. Re- we rejoice in the fact that we, uh, in this broken down and, and, and uh, enabled flesh, uh, don't have to keep a righteousness of our own to be saved, but that you have given it to us as a free gift. And so, Father, we say thank you for that today. We thank you for all that you have done. For us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we just pray that uh, you might allow us to rejoice in that every day, and that you might keep our minds fixed upon what Christ has done. And whenever we preach the gospel, may we be found to be giving uh, the declaration of a finished salvation and not an invitation or a command for somebody to try to do something in their own. On the works. And so Father, Lord, we lift it up to you today and we ask that you bless today's worship. I thank you for these brethren that you have here today. I pray that you'll be with them this week as they go home and to their workplaces this week, to wherever they're at. Lord, I pray that you might give them opportunity to testify of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And again, Father, I pray that if there's any here this morning that is not converted of Christ, I pray, Lord, that you would draw them to yourselves, that you would give them understanding of their salvation, Father, that they would show forth that uh, faith in Christ Jesus by submitting themselves to baptism, Lord, and become a part of the church, and and Lord, we just look forward to every time that you bring another one of your sheep to the fold of Christ, and and uh, and Lord, we just pray for Joplin. We ask Lord that you would uh, gather all your people around this area that desire to hear the truth and to be part of the fellowship and the worship of God uh, through the preaching of the gospel. Lord, we just pray that you would gather them together. Lord, again, thank you for all that you're here. Thank you for uh, uh, for your watch care and your healing over uh, Kevin and his family, Lord, and their sicknesses. Uh, these last few weeks or so. And Lord, we just ask that you just might continue to be with all of us as we're out there among a lot of sick people and things. Lord, that you would protect us and uh, keep us from the pestilence that is out there. Lord, we are grateful for all that you have done and all that you are for us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen.